Today's episode is brought to you by Slay House Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Slay House Presents. I'm your host, Trevor. With me this week, again, is Eva Wiggy. And we're joined by a special guest. Philip Fricasi is the Bram Stoker Award-nominated author of the story collections Behold the Void and Beneath a Pale Sky. His novels include A Child Alone with Strangers, Gothic, and Boys in the Valley. His stories have been published in numerous magazines and anthologies, including The Best Horror of the Year, Nightmare, Black Static, and Cemetery Dance. Fricasi lives in Los Angeles. Thank you so much for coming on with us today, Philip. Um, I feel like it's a, a busy schedule leading into StokerCon. Yeah, thank you for uh, having me. Yeah, StokerCon um, will be fun. I'm definitely going to go to Pittsburgh for a few days and see a lot of friends that I don't normally get to see. And um, I will be hanging out at the bar a majority of the time. So that's kind <laughs> of where that's where I make my home base when I go to these things. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think I even have a pass. I think I'm just going to go and hang out. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, have you been to StokerCon previously? Yeah, I've been a few times. Yeah, I did not go COVID year. I was my one of my books was nominated for a Stoker, um, and I couldn't go uh, that year because I was uh, I uh, got had COVID and I had to miss it, and I was I was bummed out. But um, uh, but yeah, I've gone to I've gone to a few now. I don't go every year, but I think I've been to at least two or three. Yeah. I try not to go. I don't. I don't do a lot of conventions. I'm not a big convention guy. I uh, I'm more of a stay-at-home guy. I um, but uh, I like uh, StokerCon is the one the everyone tries to get to because it's you know all the horror writers who you talk to over the course of the year or interact with or blurb or read their books or whatever it is. You get to see everybody and meet everybody, and it's always a it's always kind of kind of fun. So I try and I try and hit this one if I can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is my second time going, uh, this year and I'm, uh, just so, so excited to go. Um, I went last year, uh, and had just such a phenomenal time meeting so many people. Um, I feel like it's just so great to meet other kind of like-minded individuals, you know, people who like the same stuff you like. And, uh, I, I just, I found the environment to be really, really friendly. Um, just a lot of, good stuff yeah horror writers are pretty nice people for the most part yeah i i mean you know weirdly weirdly we're kind of nice folks yeah there's always kind of the the stinker in the group but you can't really control for that we brought you on today to talk about boys in the valley now um for listeners who may not be aware of this book could you explain just a, a little bit of what this book is, um, you know, kind of the, the plot. Yeah. So boys in the Valley, um, takes place at the turn of the century, uh, 1905 specifically. Um, and it's about a remote orphanage in rural Pennsylvania. And there are 30 boys who live there under the guardianship of a handful of Catholic priests. Cause it's a converted church that they convert to an orphanage. And, um, and one stormy night, um, some strange men come to the orphanage, and um, and uh, one of the men is sick and violent and covered in strange markings and um, dies inside the walls of the orphanage, kind of unleashing a sort of evil um, into uh into this the orphanage where the kids live and some of the kids um respond <laughs> react uh get have um almost an infection to this evil that permeates their walls and um what what goes on from there is sort of this um you know uh, 
the, all the children sort of taking sides and 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 um, it's sort of a from there it's sort of a downhill roller coaster drop of like terror and horror and conflict and um, until it gets to the uh, to the bitter end. But I think it's ultimately a novel about characters and about sacrifice and about making decisions that are difficult to make and um and uh but under the blanket of yeah of like a of a evil that permeates this this little orphanage in the middle of nowhere yeah this was um this was a fantastic read for me for for so many different reasons and um evil i'm i might pitch it to you just for some of your reactions because i know you had a lot of like really visceral reactions to this um when i was describing the book to my mother as i was reading through it um she she was just like clutching pillows she was like oh no that's that's so scary um yeah. she she had just this uh <laughs> this reaction like i'll never touch that book because it it just sounds way too scary and i was trying to be like yes it's very scary but there's so much more going on you know underneath the hood of this book it, it, you really do a fantastic job of showcasing these characters and the way that their circumstances really affect their decision making and how they relate to yeah. one another I absolutely love this book. I like I really haven't read a lot of horror in the past, but this mm. one, I mean, I it was there were so many times where I was like, oh my gosh, this is scary. I need to put it down. But then like the minute I put it down, I was like, I wanna, I wanna keep reading though. Like this is so interesting to me. Um, and I always like grew up really liking like, I mean, I watched The Exorcist, I watched like all kinds of scary movies, but like this specifically, I loved it so much it was a lot of fun and I was talking to my mom about it and she had like the opposite effect <laughs> she was like oh I want to read this well when you get a copy let me borrow it like and so it was awesome no I really enjoyed it yeah thank you it's interesting to hear a, a perspective of someone who doesn't read a lot of horror because you know unlike some of my stories and maybe like my last novel release gothic which was definitely old school horror and um this one is sort of getting a broader audience. Uh, um, you know, it's a big five press. It's going to it's going to be released worldwide by a couple of different publishers. So, um, so I'm curious to see what uh, more mainstream readers think of think of it. And um, I'm I'm hoping it kind of has crossover appeal to readers who maybe are more read more thrillers or maybe read um, some lighter genre stuff, but not like the real, you know, um, indie kind of or that a lot of the people in the community are more familiar with. So um, it's good to hear that that you enjoyed it because um, I know it's it's a it's a pretty violent it's a pretty violent book. So um, <laughs> so I think for it might be shocking for people who maybe don't have a lot of experience reading the horror genre. But hopefully, ultimately, it pays off. And I think it is sort of a you know you mentioned Trevor about the the kids. I think he's. That's another thing. I'm being sort of susceptible, and it's true. You know, the kids in this book are, um, you know, they're outcasts. They're obviously orphans, but mm -hmm. they're outcasts, and they're they're broken, and they've come from these horrible backgrounds, and they all have their kind of their own experiences. And then they're kind of thrust into this situation where they're under this very strict umbrella of these Catholic priests who run this place, and um, and it's a hard life, and it's a difficult life, and and there's a little bit of um along with the uh the quote-unquote evil that influences a lot of the children because not you know many of the children are not influenced the same way and i think ultimately each individual character kind of makes their own decisions about how they respond to what's happened um and I, and that's one of the things in the book you know is a, you know it's, it's referred to a lot as a possession story but i really don't think of it as a possession story because mm. possession equates to lack of control and i feel like these kids still have control over what they're doing they're still making their decisions they just happen to be heavily influenced by this um by this darkness that has uh injected itself into their into their world so um yeah so it's an interesting kind of like character study in a way and there are a lot of characters in the book so it was um it was hard to kind of get everybody their own screen time as it were but i think ultimately it worked 
Yeah, I, I think it works really well. Um, I felt like I knew each of the kids in the book as we kind of come across them and as, you know, they they kind of step into the major plot points. I felt genuine anguish for some of the kids. I was really upset at what happens to them. Um, but I also think that that, you know, deepens the stakes and, and kind of makes a lot of this much more real. I, I feel like one of the problems of possession horror, you know, as you kind of indicate is like the lack of control, right? Um, right. There's this feeling of like, there's, there's little sympathy, right? For the, the, the demon or the demon possessed character, because we never yeah. really see those kids or we never see, really see those characters. They just instantly become this other being and then it's like any bit of their personality is squashed. And the only time yeah. we see their personality is when we need the hero to have like a, a moment of doubt. Right. So I, I feel like this is kind of a modern, a much more modern take on this very familiar trope. What were you kind of aiming for or what were you kind of thinking about in distinguishing this book? in kind of this field of possession fiction or or possession horror with that trope being so prominent yeah well you know um the story has had some different iterations you know and i think you know one could read this book and i i don't I don't think it would be the first thing that you would think of as a reader, but one could theoretically read this book and make the argument that there really is no super, nothing supernatural actually occurred in the book. Mm. Um, you could make the argument that um, some of the, you know, one or two moments, um, you know, maybe would be questionable as to how so-and-so knew something or how so-and-so did something. But for the most part, you could almost make the argument that, um, that, that the book did not feature anything supernatural, that there was no um, possession element. Um, you know, I and I think I did that very purposely um, because I wanted the uh, characters to have, I wanted the characters, the, the kids to have, and the, and the priests to have um, the agency to be, to your point, to be making the decisions and to be, and to, and to be responsible for their actions. You know, at the end of The Exorcist, when the demon is cast out and Linda Blair is an innocent little girl again, you know, and doesn't remember anything. It's like it, it, you lose that sense of it wasn't really about her. It was just about this. It was like a, mon a creature feature in a way. And mm -hmm. I didn't want this to be a creature feature. I wanted it to be about real people experiencing real challenges, having to make very hard decisions, making sacrifices um, and deciding to do um you know, you know, deciding to do um, bad things um, mm. in response to um, partly their situation and their history, and also in response to, you know, this 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 um, this evil that's you know um, come to the come to the orphanage. You know, I, I was I was talking to somebody else about it, and and I it's a metaphor I'll reuse because I think it works. Is I kind of think about what happens. You know, when when the man who when the men come that night, I kind of think about it as all these children being lined up at the edge of a cliff looking into this abyss and a strong wind, you know, hits them from behind. And I think some of the kids fall and some of the kids stay rooted to the ground. And I think that's kind of what happens in this book. I think some of the kids fall and I think probably some of the kids probably jump. You know what I mean? Um <laughs> some of the kids are probably like, Yeah, let's let's go. And I think where some of the some of the uh, some of the um, characters decide to, to to stay rooted to what they what they truly believe in their at their core. So while you know Peter, who is the main protagonist, obviously, while he has um, influence, while he is while his decision making is definitely influenced by his desire to be um, a priest and desire to be um, closer to God. And but that never really affects the ultimate decisions that he makes. It's always, it's always, it always comes from inside himself. He's the one who's making the decisions. And just like with Bartholomew and some of the other, and David, 
you know, Bartholomew has, he's the dark to Peter's light. And David is sort of this conflicted character. And the priests are also somewhat, I think, interesting, you know, because they all have, you know, every character I write about in all of my stories and books are never, never just one thing. They're very human. Mm -hmm. There's darkness in all of us and there's light in all of us. And, um, and I like to have characters that, that have that balance that can be a good person who makes a bad decision or can be a bad person that decides to do the right thing. And, um, and I think brother Johnson, which we don't have to get into spoilers, but he's one of the characters in the book who I think is the ultimate like um, pendulum mm. between what's good and what's bad and, and his inner struggle with his own guilt and his own history, but also wanting to do the right thing is one of the more interesting things to me. He was one of the more interesting characters to write. So that's kind of what, in my mind, the book is really about. It's about mm -hmm. all this inner conflict with all these different characters and how the clashing of those conflicts, um, you know, the sparks and fire that comes from 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 those characters clashing is really what I think is the, the book is about and what makes it exciting, I think, to read. Yeah, I think, so in my notes, right, one of the first things that I wrote down as all of the book was kind of unfolding ahead of me was this metaphysical question of like, what even is a demon, right? Um, yeah. And I, I think in in some cultures or in, in some um, literature, some stories, a, a demon is just a radical idea, right? It's just like, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be an entity. You know, it can be something as simple as um, as like the wrong thought, quote unquote, right? Or or a thought that is aberrant, I think, to what society deems to be kind of appropriate. So a lot of the, the characters, you know, the boys that end up kind of taking sides are really taking sides around the distribution of power in their uh, orphanage and and really you know how is that power going to be utilized so we see these figures of power who absolutely abuse it we see those right. who you know are kind of thinking about how they should wield power for the future you know for the benefit of one another and then they have another you know kind of faction that's thinking about how power um really can can enable you to uh kind of take agency over your situation and um and believe that the the purpose of power is to position yourself better right and and so the this ideological conflict really clashes and i felt like there was kind of an allegory there for forgive me but for kind of our political moment do you feel like any of that played into the conflict that you were creating politics yeah no, <laughs> no, no, I don't, I don't, I don't No, I don't do politics, but I will say this. I think it's interesting um, that you say that because um, one of the things that this, when they're making those kind of decisions is I don't even think that, you know, if you take the two, we'll call it for sake of simplicity, the two factions within this orphanage, you know, um, I don't think the, We'll call it the good faction for sake of argument. I don't think the good faction necessarily disagrees with the end game of the bad faction or whatever. Mm -hmm. I think it's a matter of how they, the means to the end that they disagree with. In other words, you know, I think, you know, Peter, who is the protagonist, as I mentioned, you know, he's all about protecting the, the children, protecting the boy. He feels a very, you know, very strong responsibility for their welfare. Whereas the kids that are rebelling, if you will, um, that are absorbing the evil and utilizing it and not caring about a lot of, you know, not caring who they destroy to get to their end game, <clears throat> I think is more of the conflict than what the actual end game is. You know, I think they all realize that they're in a very bad situation, you know, a bad situation mm. um, as far as the orphanage is concerned in their, but it's, it's, it's how they, it's how they get there. And, you know, Peter doesn't want to see anybody hurt <clears throat> and he doesn't just want to save the good kids. He wants to save all the kids. Um, and that ultimately leads to a lot of his decision-making, but you also said something really interesting about, um, a, you know, the definition of like a demon. And I think one of the things that I'm a big believer in with my work is I do not feel beholden to the, um, the 
the writers who came before me, the creators mm. who came before me. I don't feel beholden to creating a vampire in the mold of Dracula. I don't feel beholden to creating an angel in the mold of the Bible or in the mold of um, imagery or paintings or the church. You know, I don't, you know, so I, and same with demons, same with any kind of tropey creature or, 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 or historical mythological figure. I'm very much in the school of, I create my own creatures. I create my own monsters, my own characters in the mold that I see them in. And, mm -hmm. you know, I have a book that's coming out next year um, where some of this, there's some more mythological elements to it. And, um, and it was really fun to kind of like break those, you know, break that kind of those sacred molds mm -hmm. of like, what is um, an angel? What is a demon? And how, what do they look like? How do they act? You know, and all that kind of stuff. And really just kind of like um, stretch those definitions it, because ultimately it's like, who is the authority on this stuff? You know what I mean? Mm. The creator is the authority. So, um, so I kind of take the position of like, I'm a creator as well. So I have my own authority to do what I want with this, um, you know, this kind of, this classic creature or this mythological creature so to your point about demons i don't necessarily play by the rules that have been established i like to kind of work outside those rules and create new rules um with my stories but but as far as like the uh climate political climate and all that kind of stuff i i don't i don't play that into my fiction at all um my fiction is very much outside of um i don't write socio-political fiction i know a lot of writers mm -hmm. do um, I don't have like any messaging uh, underlying my work. Uh, it's it's basically what you see is what you get. I mean, there are them thematic elements, but but there's nothing pointing to um, anything that in the real world. I, I like to keep the real world and and the worlds that I create separate as much as I can in, in that sense. Mm. I I think one of the the reasons why I feel like your literature feels like a, a modernization of these tropes is ex exactly you know, your, your kind of perspective about like you create the rules here for these, you know, these ideas for these, call them monsters, call them evils, call them, you know, whatever. Um, and I, I think that that opens up the story to do a whole bunch of other stuff that, that I think, you know, wouldn't work if we were still working with those same tropes. So like, um, another, you know, con conflict in this book that I kind of saw was this idea of like faith and secularism, um, and how that shows up in, you know, other movies. I feel like there's always like this very strong line, um, between like the, the call it God or, or, you know, the religious good. And then, you know, whether it be Satan or a demon or something up like that and right. and kind of their relationship to secularity you blur lines for a lot of these characters so that you know what motivates them is not it's not just like i'm motivated by god in peter's case like Correct. he's conflicted about a lot of his commitment there and the good yeah. that peter is able to enact is not necessarily a good that's bestowed upon him by god even though i think that some might be able to read it that way. You know, there's there's so much more in Peter that empowers him to kind of solve some of these problems, to try to save his friends, to try to confront his other friends who are on this, you know, the other line of this, this um, division, if you will. Yeah. No, it, it's 100% right. And I actually... Um... <clears throat> There's a there's a moment in the story um, late in the book where I actually because um, some of the chapters um, for those who haven't read it um, there all the ch each chapter is sort of from the perspective of a different character um, but all the chapters are third person perspective whereas Peter's chapters are first person perspective because you so you get to know a lot more about his inner thoughts and feelings and. So I made a point to really emphasize that the decisions that he makes as he goes throughout the the story are his own. And there's there are decisions that he um you know makes 
because of who he is, because of his his own um, moral moral ground and his own you know heart and his own will, and um, and it has nothing to do with exactly to your point, some sort of supernatural force. Uh, I I mean I, I I if I'm being honest with myself and with people who are listening, I I tease I I the line is fuzzy to your point. I, 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 I like toying with the idea of, is this, you know, um, is this the work of the devil or is this the work of a willful, angry young man? Is this the work of the spirit of the Holy spirit? Or is this the work of a boy who just wants to do the right thing and is willing to sacrifice what, what needs to be sacrificed to do it. So it is a line I play with. Um, and I enjoyed playing with it and purposely played with it. And I think, you know, while I'm not one of those writers who likes to leave things open to interpretation in, in the sense of story, I don't mind leaving things open to interpretation as it pertains to motives or as it pertains to character um, decisions. Because I think that, to, and you mentioned it, every reader, based on their own background and based on their own experiences and based on their own um, uh, thoughts, the way they the, what they believe or what they don't believe um, will have their own, will come to their own decisions as to why the characters do what they do. Mm. So I think that's one of the things that makes literature interesting is that I'm presenting to you some, you know, something that is 100% interpretable by a third party. So, you know, I'm creating this, this fiction and I'm creating the story and I'm, and I'm creating the characters and I'm building the world, but the reader ultimately is the one who's going to inject the motivation mm. and the, you know, and, and, and every reader puts a piece of themselves into what they read. So I think this is a very interesting story where how, based on how you respond to it, um, it says a lot about you as the reader as well. Do you find that like, is there any fear from you in creating something that, you know, it's, it's so collaborative. Um, I mean, when, when you talk about, you know, creating a piece of fiction that is going to be interpreted by your reader, I mean, do you have any fear of a, a reader just completely missing the point or misinterpreting it? Or is, is that kind of some of the relationship that you're willing to create as author to reader? Yeah. One of the things I learned early on um, is that readers are going to respond the way they want to respond regardless of your intention so um so no i don't worry about that at all i've i've written like uh, you know if you take my novel gothic for example which came out this past february which is a much different book than boys in the valley all my books are a little bit are pretty different um gothic was something where i wanted to go i wanted to kind of do my take on an old school horror novel but i wanted to kind of modernize it in the sense of um, a lot of it's sort of tongue in cheek and a lot of it is sort of um, I'm commenting on like I'm writing something vile as sort of a commentary on writing something vile and um, <laughs> a lot of readers didn't get that and I and I don't want to sound pretentious when I say that but they, they kind of missed the point of the book where they just read it as they read it at face value which is like oh this is a horrible this is a horrible <laughs> you know, a horrifying <laughs> novel where the, all of these terrible things are happening and this is disgusting and I'm throwing the book across the room and the author is, you know, um, a horrible person and I'm going to tell him so in this review um, <laughs> versus taking the time to maybe try and see what it is I'm trying to do with, it's a piece of art and it's a, and I'm trying to create an argument um, about, about um, what it means to not be a, uh, a politically correct writer and how what what how the ripples of that would be would affect others including the writer themselves over time so so it's interesting I, I don't mind it at all i um i like creating books that have layers um i like creating books that would hopefully spark some debate or um conversation um it, it doesn't bother me if people necessarily don't, you know to your point if it's collaborative i don't mind that at all i mean uh, you know, every, uh, songs are collaborative, paintings are collaborative. I mean, you put things out into the world that you create and you're the only judge of its value as it pertains to good versus bad because I'm the only one who's 
you know, I'm the only one who's reading it initially. So I write what I think would be a good thing for other people to read. And, and you can only hope that um, more people connect with it than do not connect with it. But ultimately, you don't have any control over that. Not everyone likes the Mona Lisa. Not that my writing is the Mona Lisa, but <laughs> not everyone likes, you know, smells like King Spirit either. So it's like, um, so you, you, but you just put it out there and you hope for me, it's about, um, entertaining first of all first and foremost that's always my number one goal um secondly i hope to create some sort of impact on a person's life or their emotions i would like to leave a little bit of a a little bit of a scar on on somebody when they're done reading one of my books um and then beyond that you know hopefully it's something that can be discussed and debated and and you can have a conversation about it with with your friends or family and um maybe learn something about uh, yourself and the world and you know one of the things I I said this once I was on this podcast with a teacher and she said what, what what kind of education do people get from reading your books and I said they don't get they get zero education there's no value <laughs> zero educational value in reading my book and she was actually very interesting she said well actually I disagree because I think you're you are presenting situations and scenarios and feelings that most people would not necessarily um uh uh have in their lives that were not for reading your book and you're 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 impacting the way they think about things by showing them scenarios they might normally avoid um seeing so i thought that was interesting so i guess that's something that i hope that and i think that any piece of fiction hopefully would do that for a reader if you're paying close enough attention it always impacts you you always think things that you haven't haven't maybe thought before um and so i just try i just hope that my stuff you know is is of that value to where people want to think about it for a little bit after they finish finish the story well to your point i don't i don't think i've stopped thinking about this book since i read it um you know even as you're talking about it i'm i'm thinking about some of the craft choices that you make and uh, just as a as a reader you know is there anything that that you learn from the the experience i feel like um I, you know, I would say absolutely just from a technical standpoint, you know, the shift in perspective between Peter and the other characters in this book, um, I think you handle really well. And it, it heightens that sense of like, there's a very subjective viewpoint, you know, something a little bit more objective when we get to the third person um, writing. But, but I think the way you construct characters is also fascinating. You know, when you're talking about whether or not there actually is a possession in this book, I think the answer differs from character to character. And that's sure. one of the ways that you blur lines so incredibly well. You have, you know, Peter who believes, yes, it's a possession, uh, but you you ask, you know, one of the, the priests and maybe they say yes, but then David is like, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I think right. that kid is just acting the way that, that, any of us want to act you know i think if you ask bartholomew right. he probably feels very differently too yeah there's a very one of my favorite scenes in the book this is not a spoiler is when david and peter are discussing that exact thing and there's, there's a scene where they have that back and forth where peter is saying there's something supernatural happening here and david saying you're being naive peter these are just and angry angry children and and he talks about his own experiences and his own anger and there's another moment and i i, I don't want to spoil it for anybody but there's another moment that david has um at the end of the story um right before the final coda um where he makes a comment about um how much he hates hated uh the place the orphanage and 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 his life there and and um and that's kind of what I meant earlier about like it wasn't so much the end game that mm -hmm. you know that the kids were not all on the same page with it was it was how they achieved the end and um, and so I think yeah I mean all the characters are kind of have their own unique um, stories and and thoughts and conflicts and I think it's one of the funner things about writing this book was being able to explore um, those conflicts I think in a lot of ways Peter is sort of the least conflicted. In, in character um but i think his complexities run a bit deeper than um and maybe are a little less obvious but um but i i do think he you know i think he wants so badly to gravitate toward goodness but there's a realization and a bravery that he has to 
um, grab onto um, in order to achieve what he what what he needs to achieve in order to uh, save everyone he wants to save. I'm trying really hard to avoid spoilers. I'm like yeah, navigating through like these you know rocky waters, but yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, that's it's it's a it's a it's an interesting to get into their their heads a little bit. So, um, outside of just you know kind of the, the story itself, um, was is am I correct in that this was your first novel? No, this was not my first. It was my first. Um, I'd written uh, a child alone with strangers. I think was the first um, genre novel I wrote. Mm-hmm. I'd written three novels um, in my past, <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, two of which have two of which have been re- reissued. Um, one called "Don't Let Them Get You Down," which is um, which is this one, which is a which is a book about like. Um, depression and anxiety and madness um mm. but it's not genre it's not horror it's it's dark but it's more of a character study um and then i wrote child no one strangers which was my first genre novel um and then i think then i wrote gothic and then i think i wrote boys but as it yeah but then as it turned out boys was the first one that i sold and i sold mm. it to earthling publications who um did that limited edition of it in 2021 and then um, Stephen King tweeted about it, and I sold it to Nightfire, and so that's just not coming out. So yeah, so um, yeah, I think I've written like eight novels now. Um, oh wow! With uh, Boys in the Valley coming out in July, um, Serafina coming out next June, also from Nightfire and Orbit in the UK, and then um, I have another novel that I've sold that hasn't been announced yet coming out in 2025, which is actually science fiction, like a sci-fi oh. thriller. Yeah. So different, kind of like a different, a different mood for that one. Do you feel like, uh, do you feel like um, kind of revisiting a book or, or reissuing a book allows you to, to kind of reflect a little bit on your journey as an artist and, and have you learned anything from that, from that journey? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, reissuing um don't let them get you or putting don't, really publishing don't let them get you down it was never published um but it was a book i wrote a long time ago in this about a decade ago and um it was before i started writing horror so uh yeah it was interesting to go back and re kind of reread it and i did kind of like a, another pass at it um because it, it you know i think um growth can be um, seen a lot of different ways. I mean, you, I'm, I'm a much more skilled writer now than I was 10 years ago by leaps and bounds. And that is just through writing and writing and writing and getting feedback and feedback and feedback and, and kind of like honing and, you know, shaving the, you know, the edges off a little bit and getting better at the craft. And that's been something that I, I, I dedicate myself to always trying to be a better writer. I read a lot of books on writing. I talk to a lot of writers. I read a lot. So I'm always kind of studying how different writers do different things. And um, so I have been working hard at being a better writer and a better storyteller. Um, but I think also growth can come different ways too. I think as a person, you know, I'm an older guy, so I've been through a lot and I've um, I've had a lot of different experiences. And I think, um, you know, being able to utilize those experiences and, and the emotions that stem from those experiences um, and put that into the work makes the work richer um nothing against young people eve i'm just but i'm just saying but it, it is something that you you are a it's another tool in the toolbox you can be like oh you know i've had this horrible traumatic thing happen or i had this wonderful beautiful thing happened um and you can kind of use that that range in your work um and i'm so so yeah i've been growing for sure and i've and i've been able to one of the cool things with horror and writing supernatural thrillers as i kind of refer to my work um is taking all of the, for lack of a better word, the literary elements that I used to focus on when my early novels and stories and and kind of take all that emotion, all that character development and all that, mm-hmm. um, that kind of more um, 
what I would be consider what I think what I would consider like more maybe sort of non-genre style of world building and shoving it into a supernatural horror, horror story is a lot of fun. It's a great it's a great combination in my mind. Um, so I really like writing horror stories that are supernatural because I think supernatural stories really blow the sandbox wide open and you can do anything you want and you can really have fun with it. And I think, but I think really grounding it in human emotion and, and human character traits and human thoughts and human desires um, and taking the time to build those characters and make them, you know, flesh and blood and then putting them in the blender um, has, you know, has allowed me to kind of create a little bit of a unique um, kind of style um, that I don't, I don't think it's super common. So I, that's, yeah. that's kind of, if I were to, you know, speak highly of myself, which I don't do often, but I would say that's kind of one thing I bring to the table is I kind of, I, I kind of bring that character and, and, and also the, the visceral horror, the violence and all that fun stuff. But I also try and ground it in reality. I mean, I'll, I'll heap the praise on you if you're uncomfortable you know, praising yourself, you do that remarkably well. I mean, very well and truly. Um, Thank you. This book is, uh, I think, a masterclass in how to write a modern horror story. You know, it's a a phenomenal book. You were talking earlier about um, how you have like tried to channel some of like the experiences that you had into some of your characters. Was there a character that you related to a lot in Boys in the Valley? No, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I, it's a good question. I think it's more of, I think, I think every character is a little bit of the writer. Every writer will tell you, oh, my characters are hundred percent fiction, especially horror writers, right? <laughs> like, no, 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 it's all, I made everything up, but I think, and that's true, but I think um, as far as the actions are concerned, especially, but I think every character has a little bit of, every character that I create has a little bit of me in it, in them. Um, and I think you, but more so I pull um, the characters that I create are amalgams of people that I've known sort of smushed together. Um, you know, I like taking traits of this guy and traits of that person and maybe a dash of this person and then kind of smushing it into one character um, to make them interesting to me and relatable. But no, I, I don't think there is, um, no, I wrote, going back to Gothic, which is about a writer, which is supposed to be tongue in cheek, but people don't seem to get it, but it's okay. But, but Gothic is about a writer, so it's about a horror writer. And so the natural response, of course, is, um, is this how you, you know, are you projecting yourself under this horror writer because you are a horror writer? And, um, and it's going to be like further from, you know, personality wise or, or motivation wise, you know, I couldn't be further away from, from this character. So, um, so it's, 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 yeah, I, I think you draw from people that you've known um, uh, and you kind of slice and dice them into new, new ships. Um, but yeah, no, I wouldn't say there's anybody that I necessarily relate, relate to personally. It's, um, it's, it's kind of a, you know, it's it's a, it's a bit of a myth with writing in the sense that, you know, I, there is um. I don't know how to put it, but there's not a lot of like personal. I'm, I don't I don't know how to put it really well. Like when I write, I'm it's sort of like emotionless. It's it's um in some degree it's, you know, you're kind of writing this muse that's barking in your ear, and you're kind of doing you're kind of like it's almost like you're a conduit more than anything and like there's like this like energy going through your brain and it's kind of picking out this and this and this and this and then like you're just kind of like and your job is to like get it down on the page in some sort of coherent fashion um but you don't really think about yourself i think is the way i'd put it when you're at least for me i don't really think about myself when i'm writing i'm i think i'm just sort of like i'm so focused on the story and i'm so focused on what these characters are doing and and what that i, I don't see them as reflections of me i see them as living, breathing people that are making their decisions. You know, I, I wrote this book called, um, that, is, that hasn't come out, it hasn't even sold yet, but it's called The Blue Butterfly. And I had this, and I'm a big outliner. So I had written this extensive, and it's a, it's a 
time jumping thriller. So there's a lot of structure to it that I had to get in my head, organized in my head before I started writing it. And um, so I had this very extensive outline and you know, like hundreds of bullet points, every chapter knocked out. And I was about halfway through that novel and the main character made a decision that was not in my outline and it totally screwed up my book. <laughs> um, and I was, and I was legitimately upset about it. Like I was angry about it to the point where I walked out of my office and I was like yelling at my wife saying, I, you know, now I got to <laughs> rewrite the whole stupid outline because the character lit like legit did something that I did not want her to do. And it changed kind of the course of the rest of the story. So that's how much control these, you know, the, the, I give the characters when I'm writing. Um, most of the time that doesn't happen. Most of the time they, they stick to the, the plan. Um, but, but, but that's, that's what I mean by it's not really about me. It's about me watching them and just sort of writing down what I'm seeing. So I, I just yeah. laugh because I, I feel that very, very frustrating kind of relationship to the character. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times when I'm, you know, um, I, you know, I with my novels especially, I, I, I don't outline my short stories or anything like that. But with my novels, a lot of times I have a pretty good handle on the characters when I'm going through that process. Mm -hmm. um, I, I pretty much know. So the way the way my brain sort of works is when I have an idea, I let it sort of like hang out in my head and you know and sort of take root a little bit and i'll think about it and i'll kind of bounce it around and then if like um if characters start crawling out of the you know out of the morass and <laughs> and um and start standing up and talking and doing things then i'm like okay this i like this idea has legs and and then i kind of let them play play around with it for a little bit and then the idea kind of expands and and then once i get to a certain point where i have then I start going, okay, this is an idea that I think I can, I can stretch into a, mm -hmm. into a story or into a novel. And that's what I outlined. So the, I guess the point I'm making is when I, when, by the time I get to that point, I feel like the characters are already pretty, I feel like I know them pretty well. And I have, mm -hmm. they're already kind of like um, walking and talking and that sort of stuff. So I'm not often surprised like I was with, with that book, but to your point, um, it can be, it can be, it can be surprising and you have to kind of like roll with the punches and, and be ready to pivot. Um, but you also have to like, you want your story to be um, sound structurally. So right. you can't, you can't have them going too crazy. So hopefully that doesn't happen a lot, but, um, but yeah, they, it makes total sense what you're saying. I mean, that's, that's part of giving your imagination the freedom to do what it wants to do. Um, the trick is putting that into um, into a shape that you can then, you know, mm -hmm. work from. Yeah. You talked about how, um, like, you hope to, like, leave readers, like, feeling, like, all the emotions and, like, making them think about it and, like, want to discuss it. That was, you did a really good job with that with Boys in the Valley because after I finished it, I swear, it was, like, 10 pages before it ended, I was like scared and I didn't know what was going to happen. And at the end, I literally started crying. So yeah. you did a good job. Right. <laughs> no, no. And I, I love a book that makes me cry and makes me feel everything. But I literally finished it and I sat there for a while. And then I like immediately started emailing Trevor everything. <laughs> but I thought that you did a really good job at like, I don't know, just explaining everything and making the readers feel the emotions. Because I mean, it was... It was whiplash for a little bit, but I loved it. So it was good. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. Yeah, I I, I get that. I, I've gotten some people who have commented on this book being more emotional than they bargained for and um, it being like a whatever, <laughs> a horror novel. But, um, but yeah, so I think, thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's, that's, that's the, you know, that's what you hope for. I mean, like I said earlier, my number one goal is always to like entertain. You know, I always want the book to be an escape. I always want to be, um, you know, uh, just something to 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 hopefully uh, distract you from the world for a, a while. And and there are some of my novels are more um, more haunted house 
you know, more like a haunted house and where they're just there for like fun and scares. And, and then some novels are more, you know, personal and character driven. And I think, you know, Boys in the Valley is an, is a, is a novel where I think because it's so character driven, um, there's more of an opportunity and you're also, you know, it's just a different kind of story than, um, a lot of more, a lot of other, I guess, more traditional horror novels, even ones that I've written in the sense that you're really, um, it's really a, I mean, it's almost a, it's almost a drama in a way. You're you're so involved with these characters, um, and the horror almost becomes secondary. Um, whereas with, say, like my novel Gothic, the horror is definitely front and center, and the characters are almost a little secondary in a way. Um, but that's supposed to be fun and crazy, and you know, it's a kind of book I want people to laugh while they're reading it. Whereas this one is is different. So. So yeah, so thank you. And it's um and it's interesting to play with um you know, I love building uh people and 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 you know the the science fiction book I alluded to um is very much a it's a dramatic th kind of sci-fi thriller, but it's very emotional. It's a very emotional book for me to write. Um and it's a lot about loss and it's a lot about heartache and but it's also hard science fiction, you know. So um and it's also a thriller. So, um, but I like, I like being able to have those layers where you're kind of adding some depth to, to a story and, and maybe getting people, getting readers more emotionally involved and wrapped up in what's happening, I think is, is something I, I definitely strive for with most of my stuff. And other times I'm just like, Hey, you know what, let's go for a ride. Like, and let's have some fun. Mm -hmm. Well, I loved it. It was awesome. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. So as we kind of draw to a close for this episode, um, where can readers find more information about you, your literature, and some of your upcoming events? Uh, yeah, so the best place to go um, is my website, which is pforcosti.com. Um, I'm also on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram. Um, so you can find me pretty much anywhere and um, and I have there's a group on Facebook um, that was started by some fans of mine called Fracassi Freaks that you can join where <laughs> I give you like exclusive giveaways and special products I kind of create every now and then for them and I'm always in there kind of engaging with readers there's about 500 people in there um, so that's a lot of fun if you want to like get kind of the inside scoop and I also have a newsletter through my website where I just like once every month or two I put out like uh, a blast about my new releases or my upcoming tour um, that I'm doing for Boys in the Valley, you know, that kind of stuff. So all those, but pforcosti.com gets you everywhere. And that's got all my books listed and everything like that too. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming and visiting with us today. Yeah. Um, this was a really fascinating conversation about your creative process. And um, I'm just so deeply appreciative of you you know, taking the time to meet with us. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much.